You are now listening to the Gundog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith. episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. We are here in Naboo with Ruger and Vegas. Vegas is laying here right on my lap, sleep, knocked out. He's actually the first time I've seen him sleep all day um, since we got, I mean, he's been asleep a couple of times, but he's pretty much up and at him and hooping and hollering. But anywho, he's a cool little guy. Um, This episode here is just a very special one, just obviously because it's the day I got my dog, uh, my, my second dog, and I wish I'd have been able to do this for Ruger, but Ruger was the beginning of the gun dog notebook. Anywho, now I can really document this, this process and really kind of keep track of all the specifics. That's my goal for this. As this little pup grows up. Um, and that's him. Uh, yawning, I guess. So, before we get into the episode with uh, Vegas's breeder, his whole name is Honeymoon in Vegas. But before we get on, on the episode with Vegas's breeder, Gary Surratt, um, I just wanted to acknowledge my sponsors real quick. Course Dakota 283 Kennels. And uh, it is definitely Vegas approved now. I will say that. Um, definitely Vegas approved. He's had, he's had a couple of nights in there. Um, it is also Ruger approved, honestly. Ruger like going in there way more than Vegas because Vegas is a pup. But it's like a hotel for Ruger. Um, also... Lion Country Supply. I got some stuff on the way from them, actually. Like, thank y'all. Eric Munden, who I just had on the podcast, and everybody else at Lion Country Supply. I really appreciate that. And, uh, guys, check the website, check the website, check the website. It's got everything you need for whatever age bird dog you're going to train. Whatever breed. Um... You know, the pride dog food, definitely impressed. Vegas jumped right into the bowl this morning. He did. If you saw the Instagram video, you would believe me. But anywho, he jumped into the bowl. 
guess he likes it. The pride dog food. Hey, look. I got two dogs that like it. I don't have to do any changing up or nothing like that. I'm just using the puppy formula and the performance blend. The red bag. Outside of that, mm-mm. Keeping it simple. Why? Because both my dogs like it. Um, Orvis Project Upland. Look out for some more episodes. Not episodes. Some more articles. Um, some more articles coming their way. I've got a couple that I just I've written, but I, I need to polish up a little bit. And uh, yeah, and and my wife for making that trip up there to Tennessee with me. That was cool because that was definitely a five-hour drive from where we stay at. So, anywho, this is just a very special episode because I got a chance to document, really, talking to Vegas' breeder, who's a very significant uh, individual and breeder in the field trial uh, circuit. He's got a long history. He has also met Robert Whaley. And this was the shorter of the interview. We didn't have that much time to record, so I tried to get as good of an interview as possible. Um, but I'm going to want to see if I can do that again with him. Like, just kind of extend it out. So y'all enjoy this particular episode with Gary Surratt of Pine Hill Kennels, where this superstar Vegas was first born. All right. All right, guys, this is another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. We are picking Vegas up today, a new puppy's name, uh, from Pine Hill Kennels, and I'm sitting here with Mr. Gary Surrett. How are you, sir? Doing great. Doing great. All right. So you are the man of the of the year, from what I understand, and you have a long, extensive background with, with L. Hugh Pointers, correct? Well, Pointers in general. Pet and Pointers all... I've been raising for 50 years now. Really? Okay. All right. So talk about... 60? 68. 68. Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So can you talk about how you got started in breeding, your background, and all of that? Well, first I was uh, just had a non-registered dog, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was a super dog, though, but... She was one of those trailer dogs. Mm-hmm. She would trail a covey of birds 300 yards. If it didn't leave the ground, she'd trail them up. You wouldn't, just unbelievable. But anyway, we had her. That was my first bird dog, and I got her when I was 16 year old. Really? Uh, I'd hunted with my uncle some, and but, you know, that was my first real bird dog that I owned myself. Mm-hmm. And then I bought a registered bird dog after that, and... Then we just started breeding, raising some puppies. We raised one litter off of her, and then I bought a registered dogs in uh, in the early seventies. Early seventies. Okay. That's when we started raising some registered dogs on a very small scale, though. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then we just kind of grew over the years. We just grew into what we are now. Wow. So, so now, where was that registered dog coming from? Uh, the first one was just a local guy here that bred dogs. That was, it was had uh, Redwater Rex, White Knight, old, that mm-hmm. old way blood. back, the yeah. old good stuff. I still call that the old good stuff, <laughs> especially the Redwater Rex. I, yeah. That was my favorite, one of my favorite dogs of all times. And both dogs stood within 60 mile of me 
uh, Hoyle Eaton, he had Redwater Rex and he had White Knight, both. Wow. So we were, Boonville was kind of a bird dog, big field trial place too, kind of like some of the places in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoyle Eaton won the National Hotel how many times, but he won it with White Knight, Redwater Rex. And uh, so we, you know, there's a lot of registered, a lot of trial dogs in this area. And so we bred a lot of the trial dogs, different dogs. I had littermate sisters to a lot of the national champions over the years. <clears throat> but then my first Elhu dog I got was out of a son of Elhu Huckleberry. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started with my first Elhu dogs. I had, I bought a pair from a guy up in Lowable, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... Uh, one of them was the first shoot to retrieve champion state of Tennessee, and the other one was just a great wild bird dog. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of where we started. From then on, we always had some LHU dogs. We okay. didn't have solid LHU dogs, but that's that's was my that's first LHU dog, dog called uh, Ladies John Boy. Man. And, uh, okay. Or John Boy's lady, that reverse. But uh, anyway, that's she was just a knockout wild bird dog. Okay. And I sold her to a guy. I put the first field trial win on her, and I sold her to a guy, and he put out multiple championships on her after that. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. And you are now running mo- a lot of your bloodlines out of Damascus now. Yeah. <clears throat> now we're using uh, Damascus. I acquired him in 91, mm-hmm. and he turned out to be the stud dog unbelievable. Just yeah. Nobody would have had a clue what what kind of stud dog he was going to be. Uh, he could just, no matter what he, you know, he'd put a bird dog on the ground, he'd put a field trial dog on the ground, a dog you'd go hunting with on the ground, he'd mm-hmm. put a dog that you could run and shoot to retrieve, or he'll put an all-age dog on the ground. Yeah. He was just one of them dogs that, just depending on where you put them at, yeah. uh, they would run as big as you wanted them to, mm-hmm. and they'd come in and stay in. Uh, he was... He was one of a kind, and I know I'll never get another one. So <laughs> well, but, folks say what you get that one of a kind bird dog every once in a lifetime. Well, he was a one of a kind sire. Okay. That was his deal. He could, he could, you could breed him to a not a just a mediocre dog mm-hmm. or a looking dog and get gorgeous dogs. He yeah. just stapped them with with himself. Uh, he was he could just you could breed any, and he was a multi line mm-hmm. breeding dog. You didn't have to breed another LHU dog. In fact, uh, most of the dogs I bred to him at the time, I was breeding a lot of Fiddler Ace bitches. Really? That was... A lot was, of Fiddler dogs. A lot okay. of Fiddler Ace dogs. He crossed great on them. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, they would go bird hunting and I call them suicidal sometimes. <laughs> you know, they, they wouldn't go around something. They'd try to knock it down. Yeah. And, uh, but they just had that about them. He was... He was an exceptional, different kind of LHU dog. He yeah. wasn't a typical LHU dog. He was tough, tough-minded. He was, you know, you hear LHU dogs are soft. Well, he was the opposite thing. Yeah. He, he was a, he was tough, and he put a tough dog on the ground. They, and that's what I think made him such a great Same. sire. Yeah. Is anybody could get along with him. Mm-hmm. You could he you could pressure him if you needed to. Didn't cow down. Wouldn't buckle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would just, that's just made him the different kind of sire than 
most LU dogs, most of them are a little bit on the softer side. Mm -hmm. And he was a much tougher kind of dog. Okay. And that's what made him, I think, a dog that could, you know, dog, he could, you know, we bred him to strictly foot hunting dogs, mostly for the most part. We didn't breed to field trial dogs. Mm -hmm. But in spite of that, he still... Still threw good field trial dogs. Yeah, he was, at one time, he was the number two ever living L. Hugh stud dog in the world. What? Behind L. Hugh Strike. Now, Strike is another one that I've been reading a lot about. He had a lot of good traits, too. Um, and I'm going off the snake foot book. Yeah. Strike had a lot of similar traits as Damascus. From what I understand, he would he put a much tougher dog on the ground. Okay, Bob, that was an outcross. Okay, uh, Bob had run into some problems with some of his dogs mm -hmm. being tough enough, and some flagging dogs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's that's what I seen out of him, and I think that's the reason he went to the to a Hooks Bounty Hunter, mm -hmm. and he got uh, he got strike mm -hmm. and. For, I don't know why, I don't, but he let he for some reason he didn't really like him. I don't think as a young dog, really, because he gave him to Doc Nitchman. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't keep him. Right, and then Doc Nitchman moved off. Yeah, then Doc Nitchman started running him and winning like crazy with him, and yeah. then Bob started using him like, <laughs> a, like crazy for a stud dog, which was great because right. he, he really. It helped his kennel big time, bring okay. that real bird dog back in on that toughness right. to where they'd go bird hunting. Right. Uh, so that strike was a big, that, that was, he, he made a good choice when he bred the Hooks Bounty Hunter. I think he bred all those littermate sisters mm -hmm. to Gimli and never got nothing though. Gimli didn't throw anything. Uh, that's what strike, mm -hmm. you know, you got strike. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he, he didn't get to breed strikes mother again mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly i don't know if she died or what but he didn't get to breed her but he bred litter mate sisters to strikes mother was that kiwi where did kiwi fall in she comes in after guardrail okay that's a guardrail okay that was a guardrail okay yeah. cool i'm trying so to get anyway, my lines he, right. uh, you know bob always if if you follow him you know we have people today you know they don't want to go outside the l hugh line because mm -hmm. they want to just keep breeding it but Bob never did. He never stayed in his own line. Mm -hmm. He was constantly looking for an outcross, always. Now, now, people, and I saw that in the book, and people always say he was so tight on his lines, but no, every so often he spoke about outcrossing. He, you have to. You no way you can stay in the same line tight. Mm -hmm. to, you got to go out and then come back in. Because he would go that's real what he tight. Did. Yeah, he was putting in real tight, and real he, close. But he, he'd go out and just like go to a total outcross, like mm -hmm. strike go out to Hook's Bounty Hunter and get striped, mm -hmm. and then he'd go back tight to his females in, go right back right. into his stuff. Right. And he did that on a number of occasions. Right. Uh, you know, he did the same thing with guardrail. Mm -hmm. He went out to guardrail. After he went to strike, went to guardrail, and uh, he loved guardrail dogs, mm -hmm. but guardrail got killed. Uh, when How did guardrail die? Eugene Cassell, he owned guardrail, uh -huh. and he had a... He ran off the road okay. and killed his guardrail. He had he was in the back of a dog box, mm -hmm. pulling a horse trailer, and anyway, it was a bad accident, and he Dang. lost guardrail in the deal. Dang, which okay. was way too young. You know, he was still a super sire. He right, was, he was going. He was a super sire, but he's going to be even greater, even better. Yeah, it's, uh -huh. that was a big loss. So, 
in the last two, because I, 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 we, I want to respect your time. Can you talk about the two dogs that my pup is coming from bloodlines back, Magoo and Snakefoot? Because I saw some of those uh, in his pedigree. You got a little bit of Snakefoot back there in mm-hmm. the pedigree. Uh, the Magoo is where you get the real bird dogs. This is my this is my opinion now. You yeah. know, some people there's Snakefoot fans that think he's a dog, but right. the Magoo dog was what really put bird dogs on the ground. If okay. you want a wild bird dog, a good bird finding bird dog, solid dog, the Magoo dogs was in my it was way better. It was gonna be there. Okay. That was your dog. Okay. Uh, Snakefoot, they was a little finicky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you say those puppies we could Brush them up and do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of snakefoot puppies when they're little, even up when they're three or four months old. A lot of them, if you touched them, they just turn around and jump on you. You know, but you know they had to. To me, they had to be a little. They had to have be older right. to get right. develop out. Yeah, because the dogs out there. I mean, as soon as they hit point, that tail go up. Yeah. It didn't take much for you to do it. That was impressive. Uh, but you know, he snakefoot, Whaley Bob promoted snakefoot that's mm-hmm. the dog he really he really made pushed the for dog. but if you wanted a bird dog it was the magoo dog right right as far as i'm concerned uh he put more of a sound mentally sound dog on the ground tougher mm-hmm. mentally what i call just a good wild bird dog good foot hunting dog to go hunting with right right he, snakefoot would probably put more run in them mm-hmm. but uh magoo, magoo put more had bird wild in him. he was a bird finder okay see that's that is what I'm looking for. So, um, and we were talking about crosses and line. Can you talk a little bit about, like, clarify the the idea of line breeding? Like, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding between inbreeding and line breeding. <laughs> I think so, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll say this, and then I'll talk a little bit different. You know what the difference in line breeding and inbreeding is? What's that? When it works... It's line breeding. When it don't work, it's in <laughs> that, That's that's the difference. Okay. I, I I think I can take your hint right there. <laughs> when it works, it's line breeding, and when it don't work, it's in But uh, okay, Bob was a master at knowing where to go, when to go, how far back to go, like mm-hmm. great grandson or grandson or even half brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And I've done the same thing and. One of the real things you got to do is have, and you got to be cold-hearted, and you got to have two individuals. The closer you breed, you got to have dogs that don't have bad traits. Right. right. If you do, you're going to intensify the bad traits as well as you will the good traits. So you're looking for some dogs. When you breed that close, you're looking for dogs that really just almost you just don't see any bad thing in them. Right. And still at that, you still got recessive genes back there that's going to pop out. Right. Even at that, but uh, okay. the quality of the individuals, if you're going to breed close, you got to have really quality individuals. Right. And how the quality of them, to me, determines how close you can breed. Right. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. There's no science to it. And you just got to know what you're doing. I've some of the best maintenance in the world that I thought, this is just it. Uh-huh. Nothing going to be no better and wasn't good at all. Right. You know, there's no... It's just the way the, the dice work. You've got to... I mean, you, you plan it, and a lot of time it, it works, but sometimes the best of the best won't, is not what what you think you're going to get, you won't get. You won't get. Okay. So that that's just, that's part of breeding. 
right. There's nobody got it. I don't think anyone's got it totally figured out to where they're going to hit the big money every time. Right, right. And, and I mean, we're talking about, you know, genetics and things like that. We It's not like we can pre-program it or anything like that. What I look for in dogs that I raise mm-hmm. is the percentage of really good dogs. Okay. I'm looking for a high, just like we took three puppies out there out of one litter. Right. And, you know, the whole litter do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for that high percentage. Right. Years ago, we used to think, boy, if we get one or two good puppies out of a litter, we've done good. Right. But by breeding, watching what we're breeding mm-hmm. and watching what mom and daddy puts in them natural mm-hmm. and then, you know, concentrating on that instead of just breeding dogs, four-year-old dogs and mm-hmm. somebody's done a great job training on. Right. Because what me and you train into a dog will not pass on. Right. I had a German Shepherd one time at Point Back and Retrieve. <laughs> oh, really? I did. Everybody come. In fact, I had him at the same time I had L. Hugh Damascus called Barry. His name was Barry. Black yeah. German Shepherd. He'd point back, retrieve, and everybody come. They didn't want to see Damascus. They want to see Bear. I would, too, because <laughs> I never heard but of that he before. He went with me to the field every day, and he just learned it. Yeah. You know, he learned it. And I tell you, that's what I tell people. I said, you know, he'd point back, retrieve. You want a puppy out of him? Right. You know, he, right. So, you know, you can't go by what a dog is at four-year-old. Mm-hmm. I want to see what a puppy is, what mom and daddy put there natural, mm-hmm. because that's what they're going to put back in them. Okay. I've seen people that could train, you know, dogs just perfect. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't produce a thing. But they had from a good trainer. Okay, okay. Uh, That's a, a definitely a good word of advice. And uh, any of my listeners are going to flip when they hear German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> Point back at a retreatment. Well, he did. So, what do you think? Well, first of all, did you ever get a chance to meet Bob? Yes. You did. What was that like? He was real nice. He was a super nice fellow. He did a, you know, he carried me, showed me. First time I ever went down there, I had was bought El Hugh Damascus. I bought El Hugh Damascus from him. Okay. And that was, he had El Hugh Damascus and Snakefoot. They was the same age. Both of them was his brag dogs that year. Mm-hmm. And so I called him the night before and told him I was coming, or that evening. And he he said, I told him I was looking for a male dog, and he told me he didn't have one yeah. for sale. So anyway, I, you know, but he said, I want you to come on and look at my dogs. Right. And so anyway, I went down there and... I got there really early in the morning, mm-hmm. and we I drove to his house. He came out. We got he had a little buggy. Mm-hmm. I call it drive. He drive around in. So we got in it. Went back to the kennel. I passed him coming back down there, coming to his house. You drive in Hertzboro, Alabama. You mm-hmm. drive past him, and there was this one big orange male standing. All the other dogs was in the house laying down, but there was an orange male dog that was standing out there, pointing everything that come by. Oh, really? Beautiful. One yeah. Of the prettiest dog. I said, God, what I'd give on him. Yeah. Well, but he told me he didn't have nothing for sale, so I wasn't expecting anything. Right. And uh, so anyway, I went to his house, and we come back to the kennel. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started going down the line, and he said, this is L. Hugh, Mr. Magoo, mm-hmm. and L. Hugh Jubilee. There's the same big one pen. And uh, next dog was this dog I like to wreck the car over. Uh, really? And he said, this is L. Hugh Damascus. Mm-hmm. He said, Gary, Christian, uh, that was the guy that trained, that run his dogs for him. He mm-hmm. said, he uh, just brought him in last night. He wasn't quite big enough for shooting dog. Mm-hmm. And said, I'm probably going to sell him. And after that, I don't know what else he said. He yeah. about three steps in front of him. And I was looking back <laughs> the whole time. Right. I couldn't get my eyes off that dog. Well, we went and looked at all of them. 
Right. Uh, uh, Yellowstone and Kiwi, all of them. And then uh, I said, you said you were going to sell that dog back there. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, he's not running big enough. I said, how much you want for him? And he said, well, I've got to let a lawyer in Birmingham have the next started dog. I promised him one. And all I just heart failed. Yeah. He says, but if he don't take him, I'll, you you got first chance at him. I said, when oh, do you know? Well, he told me to call him two days. Well, I called. He hadn't talked to the lawyer. Two more days, I called. He still ain't talked to the lawyer. Well, the third day, he I, or third time I called, he said, I think he probably runs too much for him. If you want him, you can have him. Yeah. And I got in the car, and I was down there the next morning at daylight. I believe it. And as I was loading him up, there was somebody calling trying to buy him after I done having him in the car. You got that. Look, you got the right one. Yeah. You got the right one. So that's how I come to L.U. Damascus. Okay. And uh, I met Bob, and I went back a couple of times and visited with him. Mm -hmm. But he was, you know, he fixed dinner for us, and Mm -hmm. he was, he just. I hear he was a gentleman. He was. Yeah. Very nice guy. Okay. Okay. I I just have a, a big thing about Whaley and Delmar. I like both of them training. I like Whaley most because he was he was a bit of a scientist. That's kind of how I saw him. He just was into it. And Delmar, I just like the way he communicated with the dog. Well, I'm, Delmar is one of my favorite trainers. Yeah, he's yeah. he's probably was back years ago when I I bought his book. Uh-huh. Best way That's what I'm using on the Vegas. Well, you know that I liked it because he would come right to the point. That's it. Few words and tell you exactly what to do. Exactly. <coughs> A lot of these books, you read two, three, or four pages to tell you to put a snap on a dog, and right. you know you don't forget what else you need to know. Mm-hmm. But old Delmar would just he tell you exactly what you needed and put yeah. it quick, and you know it may take a piece of bailing wire and wire something together, but it whatever it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was always. And when I got his book, I was training exactly what he said to mm-hmm. begin with. I was surprised, but I was already training my dogs just like what he was yeah. doing. And I just that he was always my favorite yeah. trainer he, of all times. He is the 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 gun dog guru. I mean, yeah, I've always I've always thought that was the best book for anybody to read because mm-hmm. it's simple, mm-hmm. to the point, mm-hmm. and you can read it and go out there and do it right, right. then. Right. I and mean, you don't write a thousand words just to mm-mm. teach a dog whoa. I mean, I've heard some phenomenal stories about him. So that reaffirms it because that book is at home sitting on my desk right now and I done read it twice already. Yeah. I'm about to go back through it again. Um, so talk about and, and I want to kind of get on to my dog. Can you talk about his damn and sire and some of the qualities that you like with, with those two? Uh, it was L. Hugh Chaparral and uh, Texas L. Hugh Chaparral and uh, Miss Annie. Anna, Anna was she was just a perfect gun dog mm-hmm. a lot of style lots of class pretty on the ground gorgeous around her birds mm-hmm. had a good nose uh, get out there and she'd quarter in front of you about a hundred yards mm-hmm. but just hang out there and uh, quarter started pointing holding the birds time she was five months old right. young dog just no trouble at all right uh, and he had a great personality but confirmation I just she's one of them dogs you could just love to look at right and then the Chaparral dog, uh, I hunted with him in Texas. Okay. He's a 
Texas wild bird dog. Okay. He'll run big or he'll come in. I can put him in that field and he'll stay in that field all day long. Or you can put him west Texas in that open country and he'll open on up and hang out there in court. Okay. Cool. In front of um, but uh, and he's a, you know he's got a lot of stamina mm-hmm. and just and he's a good looking dog. He's yeah. got that beautiful confirmation about him too. Oh, I I I can just imagine what he's looking like quartering that field. Um, so I, I got, I feel really good about this dog. And when I called you, you were like, look, I got a perfect dog for you. It matched up everything I was looking for. So I, um, appreciate that. And it's important that people ask about the damn sire. It's like you said, it's what they put into the dog. Um, and I really wanted to make sure I cover my bases on that one. <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, you really get what mom and daddy mm-hmm. is not that's what you got to look at mm-hmm. uh, and you want that you want that happy puppy uh, and friendly dog that's mm-hmm. you know we like happy friendly dogs that like you but but man they're gonna go bird hunt right you can't have a dog it just you know you've always got to have the bird dog first mm-hmm. he's got to be a bird dog mm-hmm. and he's got to love his game he got to want to hunt go through whatever right. When we carry dogs to West Texas, that's where we kind of our proving ground. Mm-hmm. We run them out there. There's cactus. They got to go hunting without boots. Right. They got to. They got to want to hunt bad enough that they'll go hunting. It don't matter. It not their feet and all of that. They're gonna go hunting because they just love the game. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, just before we wrap up, because we kind of creeping on time, and I said I'll give you thirty minutes because <laughs> I said talk two hours to you. What are some of the things that you look for? And a puppy before you put them, you know, up for sale and advertise them to the breeder. I'm looking for a bold puppy, mm-hmm. friendly puppy, and a good looking puppy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's got the right confirmation. Mm-hmm. And I want to see them. You know, go out here and look. If I set them on the ground, mm-hmm. I want to see them investigating. Right. You know, I want. I like to see them going, checking things out, mm-hmm. that type thing, and then like the other three out there did. Yeah, just like those. I usually don't keep them long enough, but if I keep them long enough, I'll put them out there on the birds. And yeah, I got to see them. They got to go bird hunting. Okay. They got to love their game. Yeah, they got you know they can't go out there and just play with one another. They got if I'm out there with something a bird, they try to hunt bird, just play with each right. other. Right. And if you got that, if you got that prey drive that built and in what we call a burning desire for game, mm-hmm. they're going to make a bird dog if you don't mess them up. If you don't. Okay. You know. All right. And and just not putting too much pressure on them too early. De- let them grow. Develop them. Yeah. You know, these dogs, they'll train themselves. Yeah, I, I tell them, I can give a kid one of these dogs and they'll make a great bird dog because they'll let it go and, mm-hmm. and develop itself rather than go out there and start teach, trying to make it warm birds. And, right. You know, putting a spike collar or mm-hmm. shocking collar when you're four or five months old trying to make them point then yeah uh these dogs are point if you'll put them in a lot of birds like mm-hmm. we just put them on release traps when they're 12 to 14 weeks old we start running them on release traps and as soon as they smell the bird they'll point as soon as they take one step we launch it right and they just learn on their own to back off of it it's more i call it developing the dog mm-hmm. rather than a lot of training most of the training is built in them mm-hmm. and we breed them i mean you know, if you got the hunt and the natural point built in them, then that's what we try to breed for Yeah. in these dogs. Yeah. Uh, most of your training is done. You teach them woe and here and put them in a lot of birds, and they're going to make a and bird they dog. Got, you got yourself a, a bird you dog. A bird dog. Oh, man. 
Mr. Sir, I, I wish I could sit here and talk to you for another three hours because there's so many questions, but I'm excited um, about it. And what I want to do is also keep you updated with Pup's progress. We'd love that. Um, you know, I, I am very good about developing relationships with the breeders of my dog. So even my lab out there, I, you know, I have a relationship with his breeder and I like to let you guys know because, you know, y'all are putting a lot of work and time into it. I don't want you to think it's going to go nowhere bad. <laughs> no, we like to see people send us pictures all the time. Okay. Texas pictures of them and, um, you know, they they just, you know, the percentage of our dogs really turn out good for the, you know, on the high percentage side. And that's what, and we still say it's because of what we breed. It's the sire and the dam mm. that we're breeding that natural ability into them. Okay. Alright. Well, is there anything that you, you know, want me to leave with my listeners? Can I just tell them to come to you for dogs? you have anything for sale? Sure. Just watch my website and, mm-hmm. you know, if they have a question, give me a call. I can get people asking questions. Okay. I had a guy the other day called said he couldn't get his females in heat. Yeah. So he called and I told him what to do and he come by the other day and he actually bought a dog. Yeah. And I said... Right. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, that's pioneerkennels.com. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm gonna wrap this up before I get too far into it. All right, hang on. Okay. That is another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. That was Vegas's breeder, owner and founder of Pine Hill Kennels, Gary Surratt. Um, and I got a little Vegas right here in my hands. So, outside of uh, outside of me just kind of trying to get, get him, his feet up under him, somebody got their first retrieve today, just messing around with a, a you know a sock in the, the hallway. I posted a video of it on uh, social media, but that was kind of cool. Seven weeks old and already, you know, retrieving, you know, little things. It's a good sign. So, um, he's got a little fight in him, too. He's a little, little feisty something, but he's very curious. Um, likes to search. All of those qualities that Gary told uh, me now that Vegas is starting to get accom- uh, accustomed to the house. His uh, his colors are starting to show. So, the way we're gonna train this dog, we're gonna go Delmar Smith, Bud Moore, and uh, some Neil Carter Jr. We're gonna we're gonna go with those training techniques. Woe barrel, woe post, and uh, you know, force when needed when necessary, but not going and strapping a collar on them. Using a collar, of course, but that's not going to come down the, down the line. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to come later down the line is what I'm trying to say. So, also, guys, my second gun dog notebook is officially out. And if you are anything like me and just got a new pup, you might want to get it. It's like a, and it's, it's an agenda for bird dog trainers. Um, there you go, little Vegas. So, what I really like about it is not only the imagery, but um, 
it's got a couple of articles in there that I wrote um, that were published and a lot of space for you to really just write your own training manual. I mean, all these pups are different and I kind of have an idea about what I want to do with this dog, but there's no right way or wrong way. So, you know, why not write your own, write your own training manual? So, Gun Dog Notebook number two is officially out. It's on the website. You can purchase it there. Also, guys, um, check out my podcast on Anchor. I'm trying to generate some more support there and, uh, you know, really push that platform. I like it a lot. And, uh, you know, you can also do subscriber support and things like that. It helps pay for the podcast, helps get everything, you know, up and running. Dakota 283 Kennels. Remember them, guys, when you go to Pheasant Fest. Should be coming up uh, soon. Most of y'all are probably there now or, or at least on the way there. If you are there, visit the Dakota 283 booth, guys. Check out those new kennel colors. Tell Greg and them you listen to the Gun Dog Notebook. And get online and use my promo code. Use it and it'll get you 50% off of a dining dash. And I know if you're, again, anything like me and you have a dog that's clearly very hungry because this little puppy eats the pride dog food and actually really likes it, I can throw all of that stuff in that dining dash, water, whatever I need, and I'm good all the time. So that's two plugs in the same sentence, actually. But no, seriously, um, Vegas likes the pride, the puppy formula. Um, he seems like he would have a bit of an attitude if he didn't, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you know, but he definitely hopped right into the bowl. So that's a check mark off of my list for, you know, food quality satisfaction. The little pup likes it. Ruger likes it. Ruger approves it. He's trying to get used to such a little bitty thing. Um, so yeah, man, like, Lion Country Supply, I meant, I meant to uh, talk about them. They sent me a stakeout chain. Also, um, I'm I'm definitely going to start getting this little guy used to the stakeout chain in the next couple of weeks. So, I'm excited to get that and, and get to using it there. Um, among all the many other things that they sent me. Um, but yeah, check out Lion Country Supply, guys, to get your supplies this, this uh, spring and summer. Or any time, really. But I know it's about to be training in trial season. You are just a feisty little dude, aren't you? You like to wrestle. You just sitting in my lap trying to wrestle me. And then you're going to lick me. You're so fake. So, outside of that, guys, I hope y'all enjoyed Gary's podcast. Um, my last thing, when we start doing more podcasts. Excuse me. When we um, start doing some more podcasts, by we, I mean, uh, me, Ruger, and Vegas, you guys are going to hear more about training. We're going to go back to uh, a lot of the original Gun Dog Notebook episodes where now we talk about training and stuff like that. I really want to keep a close log 
on Vegas's progress. I can do that. So anywho, expect more training stories and things like that about Little Vegas. And uh, now I can officially say I'm English. I'm I'm uh, not English pointer, but I'm pointer biased. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Gotta get my words right. Pointer biased. Alright. Y'all have a good one. Um, I enjoy doing this. This little pup is awesome. I'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Gun Dog Notebook.